Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sundays with Saima. This podcast is made for aspiring otolaryngologists to learn from trainees and professionals in the field. I'm your host, Saima Wase, rising fourth-year medical student at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Kevin Zan, Chief Resident at Ohio State University. He's the chair-elect for the section for residents and fellows at the Academy of Otolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Really thrilled to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So can you tell us a little bit about your path to otolaryngology and what brought you to the field? Yeah, um, I actually had a very uh strange path. I, um, I went to, so I, I did my undergrad at uh, Virginia Tech. I studied literature and biochemistry. I took a year off after that. Um, and then I uh, studied at the University of Virginia for medical school. And pretty much up until the very end of third year, I wanted to be an interventional cardiologist and um, discovered ENT as my last rotation. And I was just kind of enamored uh, with it. And it's like, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, I, I, I was always drawn to, this is kind of what I tell some of the students that I work with. I've always drawn to like, you know, specialties where, you know, whether it's surgery or not, you feel like you can make a, um, your own input and your own kind of dexterity and talent and, uh, skill and artistry and creativity with your hands, um, has a, a has a, a significant, uh, input and weight into the success rate of your, of the therapies you want to provide. And that could be surgery, that could be a procedural uh, uh, specialty, whatever it may be. And so ENT was so much of that, you know, like doing a cochlear implant for a child uh, was uh, congenital deafness. And, you know, you can make a huge impact. And, and if you do a good job, you can certainly do um, change your life, you know, in a, in a very meaningful way. Um, but I, um, I went about, uh, you know, the, the application uh, without the best strategy, I, I didn't have any research. I applied and uh, I only got five interviews and I didn't match. And so I uh, went through a very rough period of my life where um, I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I was very fortunate that I got a, a research fellowship at the Medical University of South Carolina, which um, was the easily the, the best uh, worst year of my life. I mean, it was uh, very transformative for me. Um, it was extremely humbling. I uh, learned a lot of personal lessons and, and professional lessons and just kind of really went crazy when it came to um, uh, doing research projects and cranking out research. And, and uh, unfortunately, I actually discovered an actual passion for it and really enjoyed it and uh, discovered a love for it. Um, and so I know that it'll be a part of my future career. So I'm actually super thrilled that I went through that process. And then um, had phenomenal mentorship there and uh, uh, was fortunate enough to match at uh, uh, the Ohio State University. Um, and I've had, I've, you know, I've had a fantastic experience here training. It's, it's, it's amazing. And um, uh, again, great mentors as well. Um, and uh, made a decision kind of around third year or so that I wanted to do otology and neurotology. And um, here I am a few days from graduation. It's kind of surreal um, that, uh, that I'm graduating and uh, going off to um, a fellowship for otology and neurotology at uh, WashU St. Louis uh, for two years. And um, hopefully I'll, I'll be um, 
you know, in an academic institution at some point uh, for, for a future career. It's kind of where I really see myself and um, uh, see myself making the most impact and kind of the things that I enjoy. Um, and then, you know, interesting enough, along, along through residency, um, I kind of stumbled into uh, leadership through the academy. And it's not something that everyone really ever tells you about. Um, and uh, the, the Board of Governors meeting, uh, spring meeting, it just happens to be in Alexandria, Virginia, which is not far from where I grew up, which is in Fairfax, Virginia. And I uh, came across some just outstanding peers and, and co-residents that were interested in it and very involved in leadership and realized there's so many amazing opportunities and things you get involved in and um, things to see and people to meet uh, through the academy. And, uh, you know, I'll have to always make a big plug for getting involved in leadership opportunities um, while you're a resident, because you do see a lot of how things get enacted uh, behind the scenes that you never really get, um, you never witness as a resident, you know, especially when you're in the trenches, uh, uh, taking care of nosebleeds and whatnot and stuff. So that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. That's an amazing story. And it's certainly a great story of success after coming going through that year off and not matching. So I think that's going to help a lot of students to be able to put that into perspective going forward. Um, you touched on kind of being able to impact change around those around you in your career. And that's what helped you choose between interventional cardiology and going down the path of ENT. So were you just naturally attracted to the field and what, what was kind of the differentiating factor for you there? Specialties where, again, like a lot of your own efforts really, really can play it, make, make a, make like a big impact on the success rate of a surgery or procedure uh, really resonated with me. And I, I just, you know, I watched somebody, I watched an interventional cardiologist just, you know, totally snake out a clot and a guy who had a STEMI and, and just did it with just, the utmost confidence and composure uh, while we were like, you know, the, the, the cath room was like going crazy and pads were flying everywhere. You know, it's just all sorts of chaos. And this guy just kept his cool. And I was like, this is such a cool field. And I love the immediacy of it. And, and um, that his training uh, really went into his ability to deliver um, that intervention. Um, and so again, that's kind of what it's, you know, like there are some, tropes in medicine. And that's like, Oh, it's about how much you can stand on your feet or how long you can hold your bladder for surgery. Like that's, that's none of that's relevant at all. It's kind of silly. Um, it's really, uh, you know, knowing my personality, I, I, I just wanted to be the person that like was the end of the line person for this one particular problem. I wanted to be the expert on it. Um, and I wasn't, uh, I'd rather be really good at one problem and fix it. And then um, address multiple at once. And so those kind of specialties like naturally fit in more with my personality. And, uh, and then with ENT, it was, um, you know, the style of surgery was the, the finesse of it, the, the, the meticulous nature of it there. Um, the fact that you do uh, so much using uh, the microscope, which I ultimately ended up uh, loving because I'm going into otology, uh, but also the endoscope. And uh, now you have the exoscope and all sorts of various scopes and techniques and tools um, it was just, a, a you know, it was, it, it just, it, the surgeries that I watched, I remember watching a parotidectomy and I was like, this is the most beautiful thing. Um, this is just a, just an immaculate dissection. This is such, this is, this is surgery to me. This is my, what I think of as 
uh, a surgery. And um, so I kind of fell in love with that. The people were excellent. Um, I had some, you know, great mentors at, uh, at UVA um, who were just phenomenal surgeons. And uh, I was like, man, this is okay. This is what I want to do instead. And uh, just kind of went from there. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think uh, along with the excitement of being able to do what your personality fits into and what's most attractive to you, the academy probably adds this other level of excitement where you're collaborating with your peers. Um, can you touch on what what um, part of working on, on the academy makes you excited? Yeah, so I never thought I would be interested. To be honest, I, you know, I, I never really thought I would be super interested in leadership. It was just kind of something that fell into my lap and something I got involved in accidentally. And then, um, and then I just realized that as part of myself where I was like, oh, you know what? Um, if you get involved in a committee and you write a state, a, you know, a position statement about something, um, let's say it's, uh, you know, cochlear implantation for single-sided deafness, like that impact, that, that little statement could be from an official um, organization that represents the entire academy, um, you know, influences how uh, that procedure is reimbursed and how policies are made and stuff. So it's just like these little things you really, you never think about like, oh, this makes any difference or whatnot, um, carry a lot of weight. And I saw the potential in that. I thought that, oh, this is actually very interesting. And, and um, you know, a lot of leadership roles and stuff is about learning how to work in a team and um, various professions and various skill sets. And I, I just think there's a lot to be learned when you mix a lot of different disciplines and, you know, skill sets and, and uh, you know, creativity and all that stuff. Uh, it's just that I like that environment. And I just never, uh, I thought I, um, I just kind of discovered that I was more interested in that than, uh, than I thought it would be. So I've just been kind of pursuing that ever since. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. That kind of collaboration leads to a lot of innovation. So that's an exciting thing to be a part of for sure. Kind of going back to your medical education process, um, what advice do you have for students trying to apply to otolaryngology? You know, it, there's a the application is an imperfect process. Um, E otolaryngology is an extremely competitive field. Um, and, and it's not just specific to ENT, but just any competitive field. I think um, there's more and more emphasis in uh, research. And, uh, you know, you're always trying to find ways to stand out because, um, you know, I've being on the opposite side of the fence, I've read a lot of personal statements, I've read a lot of, you know, CVs, and almost everybody that gets an interview. Um, has been pre-screened to some degree and has, you know, amazing letters, amazing grades, amazing this and that, and great step one, step two, uh, honors, this and that, you know, so everyone looks great on paper. Um, and so then the question becomes, you know, well, how do I stand out, right? You want to be memorable in the best ways. And um, usually people, I, I, the general advice I give people, especially when they talk about themselves, is people really resonate with stories and narratives. And I think I went about it the wrong way when I first applied. So I, you know, I did a, um, a, a podcast with Headmere just about, um, uh, you know, how to apply as a reapplicant. So I, I really recommend that uh, people are interested. 
But just as any normal applicant, you know, um, talk about your upbringing, talk about your family, talk about who you are and what makes you different, you know, because there might be somebody with your exact same name who looks very similar to you. And, uh, you know, I remember interviewing my second time around, somebody thought I was somebody else. And somebody thought I was another Chinese person who just happens to have a Z last name. And it was kind of awkward. I was like, hey, I'm not actually that person. Um, and then they had to, you know, get the right folder out and like, look at me and like, oh, okay. So that happens, right? And so how, how do you, um, how do you stand out? I think, you know, you got to be you got to be very true to yourself and, 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 uh, it's an art. It really is an art. It's, it's, you know, learning how to, um, talk about yourself, learning how to sell yourself in a way, learning how to interview, um, is there's no shame in reading self-help books and learning, like reading books on how to interview reading books and, and rehearsing your lines. There's no shame in that. Um, but also taking, a lot of time to do some introspection and think about what makes you different um, is really important because that's what's going to stick out uh, to people when you tell a really interesting story about yourself and why you'd be a great resident. Um, you know, I think I went about it the wrong way when I first applied. I tried to be kind of too creative or maybe too cute about it. Um, you know, I was a literature major in college, so I tried to tell the story about when, you know, I went on this medical anthropology trip in Rwanda and had all this cool insight or whatever from that. But it was a missed opportunity because I spent so much talk, so much time talking about this person that I met that I didn't really talk about who I was. And so, and what I, how my upbringing influenced where I am now and why I, I'd be great fit for the field. And, um, you know, I think that's how you write a good, I guess for personal statements, but really just knowing what to say about yourself. Um, you know, that's a good strategy um, for kind of uh, at least a good place to start, you know, because people, you know, reading so many personal statements these days, you know, you see the same cliches, right? Everyone's on, been on an overseas trip and saw somebody with hearing loss and was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know, or the, you know, everyone talks about how the anatomy is so complex and so beautiful. Um, or everyone's had a family member that, you know, uh, maybe deaf or lost some hearing or something and that, you know, impact. I mean, I'm saying that I'm not trying to downplay that, but it's not try to be really unique with your approach. And, and while, you know, kind of really selling the, 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 the values that you want the other person to know, because the most important question, the most often asked question is, um, and you, you know, is tell me a little about yourself. Right. And, you know, what do you want people? You have two minutes. What do you want people to know about you? Uh, there's also a lot of power into what's not said versus what is said, right? You leave little nuggets of information that people can carry on the conversation, asking further questions during an interview. Um, you know, I, you know, like for example, my first time around, I talked about this trip to Rwanda that about medical anthropology. You know, my second time around, my first sentence in my personal statement was the fact that, you know, my grandparents were peasants. I'm an immigrant and, you know, um, my parents are immigrants and we had uh, an interesting upbringing here in the United States um, going through that process and, and going through some hardships and stuff like that. And how that's how that work ethic and, and, and discipline, you know, influenced who I am today. That's just a small piece of who I am today. You know, um, I think that, you know, registers in people's memory a bit better. You, you'll see the same stories 
used over and over and over again. Um, but instead, take that opportunity to really talk about like what makes you different. You know, um, I I put a little nugget in there in my personal statement about you know I went to Virginia Tech for college and I was a freshman when the shootings occurred and what that was like being a freshman uh, with that national tragedy, what that was like and how that influenced who I am today. Um, so all these little things, you know, are um, are things that I put in there and came up again and again and again uh, in my interviews. And um, it, it's just it kind of offers little bits and pieces for people to kind of better understand who you are, you know, um, so. Right, right. And staying true to who you are is the key from what you've said. And and it, you may even have an experience with like a family member or somebody or seeing the neck dissection, you know, those are all key moments for all medical students, mm-hmm. but the differentiating factor is who you are. So I think that's what I learned from what you said. And that is fantastic advice. I think it's important. I think it's important to still say those things and to still say that like, or at least, you know, say, because you don't want to come off as a person's like, is this person even interested in EMT? Like they didn't said anything. Right. But you also don't want to belabor the point. Right. You don't want to um, you don't want to keep telling us what we already know. So like, yeah, we know that your anatomy is hard or neck anatomy is hard or, you know, like uh, say that you're super interested. And this is what fascinates you about it. And then move on and then keep talking about like interesting things about yourself or, you know, um, you know, because what are, you know, every single program is looking for people that are team players people that um, are trainable and don't come in feeling a certain level of entitlement um, that like, Oh, I deserve this, or I deserve to do this part, or I deserve to do this procedure. Like, first of all, you have to show that you deserve it. Right. Um, You people that don't need to be told to do something and can just kind of read the room and know, okay, that needs to be done. Or I can, I can see that, you know, Oh, it's time for me to do this or, you know, clearly the resident's busy doing this. So I'll go get that, you know, um, just people that are just like, you know, like that. Uh, and that usually comes across through, an, through a letter, for example, um, uh, instead of an interview, because that's kind of hard to gauge. Or if you've done an away rotation there, people will know that about you. Um, and the reason why I think there's only what one variable that's ever been predictive of like success as a resident, which is, uh, you know, being a part of a team, uh, to playing team sports in college. I think the reason for that is just because, you know, when you're working part of a team, it's not about you, right? You need to be a team player. And sometimes you need to know your role in that team and not always seek recognition for all the things that you do and just do them anyway without needing to be thanked or needing to be recognized or needing to be validated. But you're that person that's reliable and that's always going to get the job done um, for whatever it takes to kind of make sure that the patient gets taken care of, right? That's the kind of person that everybody's going to want to have on their team. That's the kind of person people are going to go to want to go to war with, right? Not the person that, you know, it's like, Hey, look at all the things that I did. Look at how amazing I am. That's it. You know, (laughs) like, um, versus like, Hey, you know, like, what can I do to help you? Like, I see that you're really slammed with this kind of stuff. Let me, let me see a console for you. Let me, let me grab a scope or something like that. Or let me, let me take care of this for you and doing without even being asked. Like, those are kind of people that 
every program is going to look for, you know, um, because, you know, you could be a superstar applicant on paper and be totally different, um, you know, in a clinical setting. And, you know, so that kind of stuff is hard to demonstrate during an interview. So I think, you know, those away rotations that, you know, some of you were talking about can be pretty helpful because they do give you some more insight. It's hard to fake a one month interview, you know, um, as far as who you are and kind of your work ethic and what you stand for and stuff. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Also kind of going back to all the things you've been balancing with the academy residency, how do you spend your time off? What are your hobbies? Well, uh, you know, the pandemic's had definitely thrown things for a loop, but, um, I, so I, I love to, to cook and I, uh, I have a background in photography. Um, I was a wedding photographer for a while, uh, during med school. And so I just, you know, I love combining the two and just taking Instagram photos of all that stuff. So I love to cook because, uh, it's a cool way to learn about other cultures and, uh, and also reconnect my own, just kind of recreating the dishes that I grew up on and the things that, you know, you crave and stuff as a kid. And then also learning like how to make some of the dishes that you go to restaurants and you're like, oh yeah, I can maybe try that and see how that works or, you know, learn about this spice or this ingredient. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that and um, still taking pictures now, mainly with just my phone. Oddly enough, I like doing impressions of people for whatever reason. Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, and doing accents of people. I won't put you on the spot. Yeah. Actually, one of my, uh, when I was doing uh, neurotology uh, interviews, it's all virtual, right? Um, and it's, a, you think ENT is a small field. Neurotology is an exceptionally small field. And somebody read that on my app, like my CV that I was like interested in impressions and stuff. And so of course, like people call me out on that and they're like, okay, well, like who can you impersonate? Like that's one of your faculty members or whatever, because they all know each other. Right. So I, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, whatever. So a word of advice, if you put something in your hobbies and interests, um, in your ERAS and all that stuff or, uh, in your application, uh, be prepared to back it up. You know, um, I remember one of our, uh, residents, uh, put like nunchucks or something like that in his, or like martial arts or nunchucks or something in his application. And Dr. Corral, one of our most famous and interesting people in the world, I think, um, just happens to have nunchucks in his office, you know? And it was like, here, what can you do with this? And he just made him do it, right? And so uh, one of our uh, uh, current fellows is, is a singer. And he, when he inter- interviewed, he had multiple places asking to sing something. Um, so, uh, you know, use that to your advantage and, uh, but know that it can be a double-edged sword if you can't deliver on those things. So, uh, just be careful with that. Certainly if you put some interesting hobbies in there, uh, it's another great, um, you know, way to just kind of, uh, start a conversation with someone. I honestly, I know there's, it's a pretty big debate right now as far as whether interviews should continue from a virtual format or not. Um, I think, you know, obviously there's an enormous amount of equity that's offered for virtual interviewing because the, you know, the burden of travel costs and stuff like that, that's a, that's not much of an issue anymore. And there's, there's a a lot to be said about what that offers, but, you know, at the same time, I think in a, in a 10, 15, 20 minute interview, um, it's really hard to get to know somebody. Um, and I always, you know, as far as like what outside of their professional goals and, you know, cause everyone can, 
behave on an interview, right? In on both parties, the interviewee and the interviewer can both behave. And I always found that the pre-interview social, if you can make them, you know, when they're in person, they were pretty, um, they were pretty telling, you know, as far as would you fit in with the residents there? Um, do the residents care? Um, because a lot of times they're free events, free booze, free food uh, for the residents and anybody involved. And you're like, well, if only two residents show up, like that was always a red flag to me. It's like, why wouldn't they want to come to an event at a nice restaurant, usually, or a bar and where, where there's free food and booze, you know, like, why would they not show up? Right. Um, but if you see everyone there, you're like, oh, they must like each other or they must really care about their future colleagues and wanting to get to know me and stuff like that. And it's those instances where you really can learn about a program. It's like, hey, you know, like, uh, what's it like here? What's it like living here? Um, you know, tell me about like the culture here. And, um, and uh, you know, and you can ask people like where they're from and what they do and how they grew up and really get to know somebody instead of just the kind of very rigid interview that you're, that you have. And, and maybe things will change too in the future, but, you know, certainly we did the whole uh, virtual happy hour this year. We did that like a few times it's just still different. You know, it just doesn't feel the same. And um, you just can't read the body language of the other person as well as you, as you would otherwise. Um, uh, you know, but again, there's, there's pluses and minus to both, both systems. Um, but I think, especially for fellowship, you know, or like, you know, for, for neurotology fellowship, especially it's a two-year program. It's usually one fellow per two years for every two years. So that's a big time commitment, you know, from a faculty and a, and a, and a fellow standpoint, if you really don't get to really know somebody, it's like, well, man, can I sit through a 10 hour tumor case with this person, <laughs> like right next to me, the entire case, like, you know, that's, that goes for both parties. And so I think there's something to be said about like what, what a regular interview does offer and what a site visit um, and those kinds of things. So I wouldn't, you know, fault anyone for trying to reach out and seeing if they can visit or not or whatever, you know, it would be, I'm sure most programs, certainly if it's allowed by their institution, uh, would welcome visitors and, you know, people that are protect, you know, prospectively, you know, interested in that program. Um, because, because otherwise, you know, I, I'm honestly of the opinion overall that a virtual interview just doesn't, you just don't get sometimes the right information. It's hard to assess fit from a social standpoint. Um, than it is from a professional standpoint, because almost every program you go to, you're going to get great training, you know, at uh, most of the programs across the world or across the country. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a very good point. And with COVID, who knows if things will change or not, but it's good to be able to capitalize on what we know and who we are and, just convey that message as best as we can. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Any final thoughts? No, this is fun. Uh, I appreciate you um, inviting me and, and kind of, um, uh, you know, I really enjoyed this. So I appreciate you inviting me. I appreciate it. All right, everyone catch us next week on Sundays with Saima.